Hello, everyone. Welcome to Job Jumpers, the podcast for those of us who jump from crappy job to crappy job. You're with me, your host, Connor Mack. Today on the show, I talk with my new pal, Cameron. Uh, we talk about his experience in food service. Uh, we talk about how he is a mad scientist trying to uh, create legal weed with the perfect amount of THC. But most interestingly, we talk about his experience uh, organizing his apartment complex and how that kind of grew into his passion for tenant unionizing. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of cool things about this chat. I think you all will hopefully get a lot out of it. Uh, hopefully it'll inspire some of you to do the same. Um, without further ado, here's my chat with Cameron. Hey everybody, welcome to Job Jumpers. Uh, today on the show, I've got my new pal Cameron with me. Uh, Cameron, thanks again for uh, for taking some time out to be on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Connor. Happy to be here. How have you been today? Good, good. It's been a little hectic today. I just got the keys to a new apartment, so I'm going to start moving in pretty much tomorrow. But nice, it's been a good day. Good Weather's for you. That's exciting. In Portland. Nice. Yeah, where where I'm in uh, Connecticut, and it's been the the two like the previous two days were they got like they they were in the 90s, which was crazy. And uh, but then today, or yeah, today and tomorrow, it's like in the low 60s. It's just we're we're just a really fucked up part of the country where it's just the weather is insane. And yeah, um, yeah I mean, so it's like it's kind of funny because because we're kind of we're on opposite ends of the of the country and also um you're moving into an apartment i'm moving out of an apartment um yeah. our, our lives have been kind of both hectic um but uh but yeah so it's kind of uh we're kind of yin and yang tonight yeah funny how that works <laughs> um all right cool so yeah let's just jump into it um i you know i want to to get to the good stuff um the first question i'd like to ask people on the podcast is you know people always ask you what do you do and they mean that as what do you do for a living and i i don't like that the the way that question is asked i, I i've always thought like that's the fucking last thing i want to talk to a, a you know a person i just met about is my job that's terrible i hate do i hate having small talk about my my job mostly because i I know if I'm at a job, I'm going to leave it soon. And then they'll be like, well, what the fuck? Yeah. Right. But, uh, but so, so taking the work out of the equation, Cameron, um, what do you do? Yeah. I'm actually at a point now where I kind of just do what I want. That's only been the last month or so because up to, uh, the middle of last month, I was working on a political campaign here in Portland, which, uh, it ended up uh, not passing, so we don't need to get into it too terribly much. But uh, all of that is related to a lot of like housing and tenant organizing that I do in my spare time. Um, but ever since that uh, has ended, I mean, I'll, I'll come back to it soon. But I'm, I'm taking a little bit of time for myself, you know. Yeah. I uh, I really like to cook. You know, I've been kind of trying to pick music back up after not making any or playing any instruments for longer than I would have liked. What kind um, of music do you play? Uh, at this point, uh, I'm really just trying to learn my way around the bass again. It's kind of too early to even 
have a genre picked out but uh you know the the goal is eventually to get back into jazz you know i played all kinds of instruments throughout uh, my school and kind of stuck with a couple things here and there a little bit into college but you know since graduating and working full-time i've not had the time so that's the goal but you know i gotta start with the basics before i get into it too far yeah sure yeah i mean i i uh yeah, jazz is kind of um, intimidating to me because I'm, you know, I play, I guess, punk rock, just loud and fast guitar. And I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, yeah, that's that's rad. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wish you luck on your 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 musical journey. I hope you can can get into it and start start kicking some ass. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. That's that's definitely the goal, you know, and that's actually a, a thing I'm really looking forward to with this new apartment is I'm going to have a lot more space so I can actually have the amp and the bass out oh, so I don't yeah. have to, you know, go digging around yeah. in my closet. Nice. One of my dining chairs into the middle of my living room because that's the only place I won't smash into something with, you know, the neck of the guitar. That's the best. Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever place I get next, I, I'm, I'm going to prioritize having a... a a space you know hopefully solely for just uh you know making music because it's what keep what's it's what keeps me sane um so yeah that that's that's awesome all right so uh on the flip side cameron uh for that question what do you say when people ask you what you do for a living yeah so i am uh my title is a chemical operator but basically all that means is that i work at a chemical plant where we manufacture industrial chemicals. So I am out on the manufacturing floor doing kind of a little bit of everything. There's kind of direct manufacturing, you know, where we're opening raw materials and putting them into reaction vessels or drying them or, you know, carrying out some kind of reaction or otherwise. Um, there's a lot of just maintaining equipment. There's, you know, a lot of plumbing and steam and water and all that that we got to deal with. Uh, there's a good amount of just warehouse work. And then, of course, you know, uh, checking uh, wastewater and sort of environmental safety stuff. So it's it's hard to explain, like, what it is exactly I do in a day. But suffice to say, I, uh, I work in a chemical plant to kind of keep things moving and keep production running. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that, that sounds way above my pay grade. It sounds very interesting and also uh, like something I could never comprehend i guess i don't know um yeah it's one of those things you know i actually i used to work in the lab which is a little more uh it's a little more what people think of when you say you know you work with chemicals because you know a lot of people imagine a lab setting and this is a little bit less like that um i think it's actually really interesting because this is a more like I mean, quite literally blue collar, right? You know, I go to work and I put on my, my blue shirt with my little name tag. <laughs> nice. Um, and so you kind of get people from all over the place. You get people who have just like worked in warehouses and that's a super valuable skill for my company uh, to hire people for. But then you get people like me who, you know, went to school for chemistry and everything. And so it's interesting the different directions people come at it from. Um, and that's something I really like about this job versus a little bit more of what people think of as, you know, the, the sciences. Yeah. Speak. Yeah. I know that, that, that is interesting. Yeah. It's a little bit more, I guess, of the people and you, you're not kind of, there's not that disconnect between, you know, you and, uh, and, you know, 
you know, the working class, I guess, obviously chemists and it, it, everyone is work, you know, can be working class is working class, but it's, it's, uh, I guess the, the stereotypical blue collar work, you know, you don't imagine chemist as, as being that. So, so I guess it is a little bit different. Yeah. That's actually a thing I talk about with my friends sometimes It's like, where does a career in the sciences kind of put you on that? I don't know if you want to call it like blue collar to like professional managerial class, which I don't love that term, but it's, it's mm. one that people kind of understand. Yeah. Uh, it's like, cause you know, it, it's a lot of highly educated people and it's, it's not like a lot of other work just for a lot of reasons that are kind of obvious, right? Just the, the nature of what you do in a lab is just so specific to a lab setting, but it's not office work exactly you know it's not you know uh a term i actually prefer to professional managerial classes it's not an email job yeah <laughs> that's something my partner taught me i think it's really funny yeah so made up email job <laughs> but it is that a little bit yeah but, you know you're also on your feet you're working with chemicals it, it's just a weird thing and it's it's very much seen in the outside as this like prestigious thing i think just because of, of research and that side of science but uh, the realities of it are just they're very strange i i figure we're going to get into it a little bit in this episode yeah absolutely you know the way stem you know science technology engineering mathematics the way that's sold to to young people you know students especially versus what the reality of the work is is it's just something i've always thought was really interesting and something you know i i kind of had to come to grips with myself after graduating you know, with a degree in chemistry and then running up against the realities of the job market and needing to pay rent and all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that is, that's, yeah, there, there, there's a lot to, to break down there. Um, and yeah, let's, let's get into it. Um, Cameron, do you consider yourself a job jumper? You know, I didn't used to, but I do now. Yeah. Uh, I, cause I was, you know, just entering the workforce in the way that I think a lot of people are, you know, uh -huh. I was working food service and retail, you know, the, the jobs people get when you first move to a city and you just need to put food on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was averaging like a little less than a year per job for a little bit there. Uh, and then I worked in one lab for about three years and it was it was kind of one of those places like i knew it wasn't going to be my career but it was a good enough job and there was some opportunity for advancement and then this is the pay kind of stagnated and then i went to another lab and i only lasted about eight months there and uh, then I, I got my current job you know i've only been working that for about seven months now so i would say yeah we're I, I would consider myself a job jumper at this point. Okay. Yeah, I, I think you definitely qualify. Here, uh, I'm going to pause for one second. Give me one second. Okay, Cameron. So let's uh, let's just jump. Let's go from the top. Uh, you know, I I want to hear your job jumping story from from the beginning. You know, you can go into as much or as little detail as you want. Um, so you have the floor. All right. Yeah. We'll we'll start from the beginning. So I graduated. Like I said, I got a degree in chemistry. Uh, I graduated in 2016. Um, and I was, I, at this point, I had sort of begun to realize that the, the stability and the pay that it was sort of, if not 
promised, at least implied by studying science was mm-hmm. something of a myth, you know, cause, uh, I, I had, I've been with my partner, you know, throughout college, she was living in Portland, uh, and I li- lived in Spokane, Washington at the time, which is uh, like a, a medium sized city on the Eastern side of the state. Um, so I moved here to Portland pretty much immediately after graduating to move in with her and I didn't have a car and I really didn't have any way of accessing any kind of, uh, laboratory setting without one. They're all kind of on the outskirts of town or in the suburbs. Um, and she was still going to school. So, you know, moving out there was not really an option. Gotcha. So... I looked around after moving here and I I got a job uh, washing dishes at an Indian restaurant. Um, Which, and that was really strange. It was as the restaurant was opening, you know, as part of that crew that helped, you know, get it open and was working, you know, opening night and all that stuff. Uh, And basically the problem was the owners had never run a restaurant before. (laughs) Okay. So it it was a disaster. I mean, anyone who's ever worked in a kitchen knows what, like, a total lack of leadership looks and feels like. Sure, yep. Uh, So there was that. There were staffing issues. You know, there were a couple times I worked, you know, basically open to close, washing dishes the entire time. So those ended up being, like, you know, 14-hour days. Jesus, yeah, that is fucking rough. Yeah, which, yeah, it it was not good. Um, so I didn't last long there, but I do have a, a kind of funny story from it, which this seems like a, a good <laughs> setting to share it in. So, yeah. you know, this guy who had opened the restaurant, I think he was the principal or the co-owner. I don't know exactly what the relationship was between the people who owned it, but, you know, he was this investment banker who had moved here uh, to help open this restaurant. And he was trying to run Expo in the kitchen, which is, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that's when you're you're the one getting the tickets from the front of house and, you know, yelling out to the line cooks saying, you know, this is what I need. Yeah. Getting time estimates, just making sure everybody's cooking what they need to when they need to. And it's getting out to the tables. Yeah. Smoothly. That, that was always kind of, you know, in my experience, the like they wanted me to do expo a lot when I was a host at a restaurant. I just like, I just didn't want to be the guy yelling at the line cooks. Cause like they're under so much stress and like, it's just, it's a very combative role. Yeah. There is, there's definitely a right and a wrong way to be that assertive yeah. presence. Um, but he was also, this guy was not assertive really. So it was just sort of, him quietly asking for food and people either not hearing him or him not reminding them. And, oh God. You know, it, it was a total disaster. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just kind of minding my business, washing dishes while this all happens. Kind of like, Oh, you know, that's, that's a real bummer, but it's, it's kind of not my problem until people finish their food or they finish cooking. Sure. Um, but you know, this, this was going on for a couple of weeks and it was not good. Um, and I, I happened to be watching Hell's Kitchen at the time, just on TV, with, uh, you know, Gordon Ramsay yelling at everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and I had this thought. Uh, I was like, I bet I could do that. And so I just kind of tried it out on a lunch service, um, really just faking it, doing kind of a Gordon Ramsay impression, but yeah. being nicer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it worked out really smoothly. So I, I ended up being the dishwasher slash expo guy. Oh my God. For the next couple months, which was, which was a, a funny 
place to find myself but you know it ended up working out better you know I, I wasn't amazing at it but it was better than what we had yeah and you had fun with it yeah no it was good and it was like it actually did teach me a lot about you know time management and communication and all that yeah so mm -hmm. it was it was it was a good experience overall uh but it was very stressful and i didn't really like working there yeah so i mean I, that's my experience too it's very very stressful and uh, some people you know managers especially but uh some people do think they are gordon ramsay and that they can treat people like that and it's like ugh, come on yeah and that's definitely i think it's just people see it on tv and they try to recreate it and then yeah it just kind of pisses off their staff and i i don't know it's it's just a, a really unfortunately toxic aspect of the food industry because you know I, I do love food a lot it's and i would you know kind of consider working in the industry more if it wasn't the way it is yep absolutely and you know the the personalities and the egos really really make it a bad place to work for a lot of people so, yeah yeah you're, you're my, you're my heart goes out to everybody who still works <laughs> in the industry i know uh, yeah yeah um but at that point you know i, I still was kind of hoping to pursue a career at least adjacent to food if not you know directly in food service um and so i got this new job at uh, a really fancy uh, grocery store here in portland that uh, it focuses on european imports i won't say the name but people who are in the city who kind of know about it they probably know which one i'm talking about it's, it's okay. been around for a long time um and i worked at a location that no longer exists anymore but it was this just unbelievably expensive fancy grocery store essentially um it's like all imported food from europe pretty much that or like you know very expensive domestic stuff but it's sort of like uh it's sort of like a whole foods on steroids I mean, <laughs> okay was, nice i would say significantly more expensive Jeez, okay than so yeah it's no joke and you know it was on the the west side of town just under sort of the hills where all of the like really really rich people in portland live and so it was kind of catering to that audience that's very much why it was there and okay. who served um so i was a cashier there for uh about six months which was i mean it was fine you know i was making a little less than i was at the restaurant but i could take home a ton of free food uh stuff i could never even dream of affording you know stuff that was about to expire or stuff that you know my manager's like yeah we won't miss it and yeah. she was really cool about that kind of stuff um and i was really thankful for that so you know, I was making less money, but I was really not spending hardly anything on food. I could pretty much feed myself with what I could take from the store mm -hmm. um, and my partner. So that was that was a great perk of that. Yeah, and absolutely. Was, you know, it was awesome to be exposed to that type of food because it's, it's cost is such a barrier when it comes to fancy food. And it's such a shame because there's so much cool stuff out there that, you know, if you're poor and you love food, you kind of don't have any options. You just get to, like, imagine what it must be like to eat or experience a lot of this stuff <laughs> yeah 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 um and so i was very lucky to have this job so you know i was the cashier there uh you know every so often would watch like a month's rent payment go by in you know what people were spending on groceries if they oh, were you man. know throwing a party or something and it's it was fucking brutal yeah it was pretty shocking because you know i was making minimum wage which in portland at that time was i want to say a about like 12.50 an hour mm -hmm. or so 
Um, and I'm, you know, I'm watching somebody spend like $1,700 on crab legs for their whole family. <laughs> oh for Christmas. my gosh. It was, it was really something to see. It's like, um, yeah, you, you can see that divide firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm living it. And I'm, yep. in fact, you know, serve, service with a smile for someone who like could pay all my bills and probably not even notice that mm-hmm. the money is missing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that was a, a crazy experience, but it was cool to like meet people, and there were a lot of shitty customers, as there are anywhere, but there were a lot of cool ones, too, and, you know, it was a fun way to meet people, and, you know, I developed a lot of good relationships with, you know, people that worked in the store, but my goal with that, which, you know, eventually did work out, was I was able to work behind the, uh, the cheese and the deli counter. Okay. Uh, we had this just, like, unbelievable cheese selection at this shop, um, <laughs> nice. which I love. You know, it was, it was yeah. so cool. Oh, I'm a big know, cheese this... guy, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, I'll, maybe I'll tell you when we're not recording, you know, what the place is. Sure. If you ever make it out here, you got to go. Yeah, great. Um, and so I, you know, eventually started working back there and that was a little more like, you know, slicing stuff to order, uh, making recommendations, that kind of stuff. Um, and that was a ton of fun. And I did that for about eight or 10 more months. You know, I worked at this place total a little less than two years, but was, you know, doing different stuff in the building. Um, but that yeah that was just that was a real fun experience but it just kind of became too much and i realized you know like i'm never going to make very much money i was seeing you know people who were assistant managers and managers that you know they worked there for like 10 or more years mm. to get there <sighs> and you know they just can barely get by because yeah. you know portland's obviously a very expensive city yeah yeah uh, and i was like you know i like a lot of a lot of stuff about this job but it's just i can't spend my life here mm-hmm. um and you know at that point i had i had been able to you know save up and buy a car um and i was like all right like i kind of like i was thinking about you know I, I did go to college i'm paying my student loans for this degree that i'm i'm not using so i was like yeah i really ought to try to to get in on that you know use it or lose it so i i looked for jobs in a lab because that's when you just have a, a four-year degree in the sciences, you're pretty much going to be working as a lab tech or something kind of similar, uh, which was fine with me. Gotcha. I, I kind of knew what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. And so I found one at a... It was a, a third-party testing lab for food and cannabis and, like, water. Huh. Basically. Okay. So I specifically worked on, you know, legal weed for a long time. That was what I was testing. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I was I was testing it for, like, pesticides and eventually potency and terpene profiles and, like, all this stuff that was really interesting work, and I, I liked it a lot. But, yeah, I worked there for, uh, I think it was about two and a half years, if my math is correct, if I'm remembering. Um kind of moved around but you know it was just the same thing of like the money was not keeping up with the amount of work i was doing and the responsibility yep um and that job was kind of the one where it was like okay this is this is my first quote unquote real job right mm-hmm. you know it's the one that when i tell my family what i'm doing they don't sort of raise an eyebrow and be like oh but you know didn't you go to college and that yeah. sort of thing but i'm yep. sure 
plenty of people are familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that also meant it was sort of my first encounter with the, like, I don't know, the politics of an office job or the, just the way that you have to negotiate and, you know, advocate for yourself and all that stuff mm. was, you know, I would, I just kind of had to learn that on the fly yeah. at this job. And, uh, they don't really, teach you that. Think, sorry, go ahead. They don't teach you that the, you know, inner office politics are, are something, uh, that you got to learn on the fly usually. Yeah, they certainly don't. And, you know, how to negotiate for more money and all that kind of stuff is stuff I knew in theory, but, you know, had to put into practice. And it, it essentially was just, you know, a series of broken promises from uh, my boss and, and the higher ups at that company that kind of drove me out. Okay. Was, you know, there was a lot of just like really sort of things were said but not put in writing or implied and then never followed up on yep and that kind of stuff happened uh, a handful of times and i was like you know i've kind of had enough of this but that was yeah a lot of i learned a lot for better or for worse because of that um we don't need to get into it. It's really not that interesting of a story, but I did sort of like fail to unionize that workplace. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't get very far into the process before I realized that it wasn't really going to go anywhere. Were people not interested or was it just, just the backlash was too much? It, it was, it was that people weren't interested and I kind of didn't have the, the organizing skills to get them interested, to get them sort of to understand how this would help. Okay. Um, and then the nature of the workplace was like, it was very siloed off, like what department yeah. you worked mm-hmm. in so that made it really difficult. Um, but yeah, there, there were a few meetings in parks and like a lot of interest and then it kind of didn't go anywhere, unfortunately. Well, Hey, I mean, at least you tried, uh, what, was there any conflict with management due to that? Did they ever find out? No, I, I realized cause it was kind of time to either, uh, stop trying or take it to management when I had this realization. And I was like, you know, I don't want to risk a conflict here because I don't see it being successful. And I don't yeah, see sure. it really being worth mm-hmm. the, the effort. And, you know, the, you know, it's scary because you could lose your job, right? It's, of course. It's, yeah. <laughs> everybody I mean, knows that. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's how they, you know, weaponize it, uh, you know, against you because it's, yeah, that's your livelihood. <laughs> right. Right. And so, you know, but in the meantime, after that, is uh, that's when I got into tenant organizing. And that is sort of what really was my main focus. You know, I was, after that point, I was going to work and just kind of collecting the paycheck, doing what I needed to do, but not really putting a ton of myself into it after kind of becoming disillusioned with, I don't know, the nature of work yep. in in this country, I suppose. Yeah. Because, um, you know, of course, uh, COVID happened around that time. That was, you know, a, a year or two after this uh, failed union drive at work. And so uh, I and my partner and a couple of our friends who all, you know, lived in this building together, we, uh, during COVID, a ton of people got laid off. I never did because, you know, I technically worked in food safety, so I was an essential worker and, and all that stuff. So but, you worked through it? Yeah, I, I worked through it. I never had 
any time at home really because you know i needed to physically go in and you know prep samples or yeah same same here it 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 was a very very weird time where i i uh i was working and everyone else was staying home and i i i had the choice to stay home and and get furloughed and collect a paycheck and i was a fucking idiot and decided against it and i kicking myself to this day (laughs) yeah yeah i I don't think I had the because it was I think by seniority who got furloughed and I was gotcha on Makes the sense. list. But uh, you know, I lived in a not a huge apartment with two other people at that point, uh, and having all three of us there all day every day would have really been too much for sure. Anyways, but yeah, so I was going to work that entire time, uh, you know, through COVID, through you know those huge protests that happened here in 2020 uh oh yeah really portland was a was a hot spot yeah it was and it was this horrible wildfire actually that kind of didn't put a stop to it but it really slowed the momentum of those protests because it was like it was crazy here you could barely see across the street it was so smoky for like Jesus. a week and a half two weeks almost yeah that's um, insane. And just so through all of that you know i'm just going to work the whole time <laughs> everything's normal everything's fine you know it's like that meeting yeah. i guess <laughs> everything's exactly it really was yeah yeah it's just the smoke was there but not the fire but yeah, yeah it's we all had to just pretend that this was all all fine and dandy and oh my god you know, we don't the, the, the most important thing in our life is you know coming to work and you know making sure the weed has the thc numbers <laughs> that say. of course which is important after a fashion, but, you know, maybe not inhaling smoke important. Yeah, I think uh, there's probably more important things, but still. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, then my focus, when it turned to tenant organizing, um, like I said, that was kind of what I really was focusing on at that point. So uh, nice. it, it was this whole thing where... Uh, we got this really insulting letter from our landlord, everybody that lived in this building, that was essentially like, hey, you know, sorry, uh, sorry about the pandemic. Uh, we realize a lot of you guys are not working anymore because you got laid off. But just so you know, uh, rent is still due on time. <laughs> so, you know, figure that out. Uh, oh and then there God. was at the end of the letter, this is, I think, what really pissed people off, certainly what pissed me off. Um they said, if you want, you can pay rent using a credit card, which Whoa, doesn't seem exactly like a charitable thing to offer your tenants. Uh, and then they included links to uh, jobs at Amazon and Fred Meyer because oh, they were both hiring. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that kind of got everybody uh, a little upset. And then my friend went around the building and just dropped letters off that was like, hey, did you, we, did you get this? And that doesn't really sit right with me. And, you know, we should kind of do something. And uh, my partner and I just jumped in and we were like, yeah, we love that you're doing this. We sh- we're willing to, you know, help out and do what we can to, you know, look into, you know, forming some kind of tenant association or just some kind of collective response to this because it really was not okay. No, I, uh, that's so fucking patronizing. Yeah, it it was wild. It's everybody I tell this story to, they just can't even believe it, which was validating, you know, that Yeah, that that's that, that's like one of the, you know, the, those emails from landlords that people post on Twitter and and like everyone in the comments is like that's got to be made up. They can't be that out of touch. That they're just you're just posting that for clout. 
it's i mean but there are actual fucking evil people out there that and i mean i know i mean i know they exist and uh you know my my landlord was was didn't go that far but but really didn't didn't offer any help or understate so it's just um fuck it just fucked up yeah it really is and you know i've only seen more and worse ever since you know staying involved with you know the the tenant movement as it were in portland um so you know that that's a whole big story of like getting everybody in the building on the same page and everybody was willing because everybody was really angry about that letter which was funny that you know our landlord just kind of gave us this organizing opportunity yeah out of nowhere just this total unforced error i know Um, made the wrong move yeah because and then it turned into this whole thing where we had all these demands of like um they weren't providing any cleaning supplies in the uh common laundry room and this was before we really knew covid was an airborne thing and everybody was like be careful about touching surfaces and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff uh, but they didn't give us anything to actually clean with. And so we were like, hey, do we have to provide this? Or like, what what's up with that? And then also, uh, there was a coin shortage, or at least there was here. I don't know if there was, was a local. No, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, so, that did happen. Because I remember working at the hotel. I was working at a hotel at the time. And, I mean, a hotel didn't close down during COVID. Um, right. And people, it was just as busy as ever. But um yeah, there there was a, a a coin shortage. I was happy about it because I didn't like dealing with change. But um, you know, oh, totally, your mileage is very. But the problem was it was coin op laundry. Yeah, that uh, is a problem. And so the bank wasn't giving out quarters, and we were like, "Hey, what the hell are we supposed to do here?" You know, we've asked many times to get like a card reader or even just a change machine in the laundry room, and they wouldn't. And it was just this whole thing with that um and so they eventually you know they left bleach down there and they uh they actually did open up the laundry machines for people so it was you know you could just reuse the same quarters okay just take them right out of the box after you put it in uh which was great yeah that's something and then it was this whole thing about you know they were charging people you know the fee to break their lease you know who got laid off essentially and were like well i can't afford to live in this apartment anymore so they're moving, you know, to a smaller place or in with their parents or whatever it was people yeah. needed to do. Um, but, you know, it's like a, it was like a month and a half or, or two months of rent of a fee to, you know, do that. Mm. And we were asking them, we're like, hey, like, we get that you want people to honor their leases, but this is kind of an extreme circumstance. So can you, like, help people out and, like, discount this or waive it or whatever? Uh, and that was really where they drew the line because that was, of course, that's their big money maker. Yep. Uh, and they kind of told us to kick rocks, uh, and they kind of stopped talking to us at all after that point because you okay. know there there was more that we were trying to <laughs> ask them for. Sure. Um, but that was you know that's where they drew the line, and we ended up suing them and winning for a kind of unrelated thing, but it was like kind of a petty deal. But we just did it because they stopped talking to us and we were like, well, I don't know if you guys want to be assholes like we can do that, too. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, fight fire. With that fire. was really satisfying. I don't know how much <laughs> like ended up helping people. But, you know, people got like a decent payout. It was this whole big class action lawsuit. So it was everybody who rented from uh, that 
property manager from, you know, like a, a year window was eligible to be part of that class. Hell yeah. And they all got, yeah, like a, a little less than a month and a half of rent paid out in the settlement. Nice. I mean, that's a win. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it's it's a decent sized check for people. Yeah. So we at least got that, but that's kind of how I got involved in, uh, I guess, local politics is what it ended up turning into okay that was the beginning yeah yeah and so so we tried to get a we or we we didn't try we did get a ballot measure on here in portland uh nice. just recently that that ended up failing by a lot because uh it, there was just a ton of opposition from local and even national uh groups so it was kind of over before it started you know our, our opposition got so much money just immediately and uh uh-huh, yeah, okay. killed us in the end. So yeah. it's unfortunate, but yeah. we we're all kind of clear eyed about why it didn't work out. Yeah, well I mean and and that's how it's like you gotta start somewhere and you gotta fail before you succeed, you know? I mean that's kind of there it's it's an uphill battle, I guess, wherever you live in this country. No, it definitely is and yeah, there, there's kind of no other way for us to go other than, you know, just try to see it through and, and hope for the best. But that was that was a whole big thing. You know, that was like a like a two and a half, three year project for me, which, you know, like I said, just ended last month, which is why I am trying to chill out a little bit before jumping back in. Yeah, I mean, you got to. Yeah, that sounds like it was pretty stressful and all consuming. So, yeah, you got to kind of got to gotta take some time for you and rest up for the next battle yeah absolutely so yeah because you know we're still talking about how how can we get tenant power onto the ballot or you know get some political victories for us here because it's really it's getting pretty untenable in portland i mean as everywhere frankly just the cost of housing is just so ridiculous and the imbalance of power between renters and and property owners is is really causing a lot of problems that yeah you know we kind of tried to address it via this ballot measure and you know there we have other ideas of how to do stuff but it's uh that's kind of kind of my what has been my passion lately like i said outside of work but, yeah i mean that's that's uh that's great i i uh <clears throat> you know i think that's that's going to kind of you know spread sp- spread like a like a wildfire like the like, like the wildfire that you guys dealt with uh during covid yeah that's yeah i can hope so i only hope so because it's it's really needed but uh yeah since then um i've kind of been focusing back on work and you know thinking about what's next and you know that i'll stick at this job you know for I don't know. Frankly, I guess as long as I can bear it, like with any other job. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so essentially, like that, the um, you know, working that campaign was was your main main gig for for a while. Yeah, that's really what I saw, like as my main hustle. It was you know work. I had to you know be there, you know, nine to five Monday through Friday or whatever. But what I considered sort of my main priority was you know that campaign and trying to get that just keep everything together and keep it moving yeah yeah so um what are you doing now for work yeah so i i'm just doing that uh the chemical operations job 
uh, just I'm sticking with that that manufacturing, uh, just kind of learning the ropes there. And like I said, we'll see if I stick with it. But things aren't looking great. We had a a meeting recently that was essentially management and HR saying uh, we're not going to take inflation into uh, into account for <laughs> merit raises, motherfuckers. And there's there's never been a, a cost of living adjustment. So yeah. that, I mean, it's essentially a pay cut, which yeah. everybody everybody knows, but nobody's really talking about. Like, it's kind of the guys that are out on the production floor that are are kind of calling it what it is, and everybody else is either not talking about it or pretending it's not happening, which is is really frustrating. But absolutely, I mean, that's really typical in a lot of workplaces. I think it is, which yeah, sucks, but it's reality. Definitely, I mean, it's it's um. <sighs> It's it's insane because because I think I was uh, I was just thinking about this here in Connecticut the the minimum wage just increased to fifteen dollars an hour as of June first and that went into like th- that was a law that that went into play um, in twenty nineteen and right so they so have that, that roll up period exactly, that's exactly what here. yeah I think we're just a couple years ahead but that's that's yeah. exactly what happened so here. so I mean at that time. You know, like, okay, cool. Like, we'll, you know, we'll get there eventually. And obviously, <laughs> everything is different now. That, like, that, that $15 is not worth shit anymore. Uh, not it's at all. Pitiful. Absolutely pitiful. And I mean, back then, I was making, I was making like $12 an hour. And I, I was doing better than I am now, making a lot more. Um, you know, yeah. I like, right. I, I, I like in the last two years or three years, I've had jobs ranging from, um, you know, $16 an hour to, uh, 20, $21 an hour. And none of them, none of them have I felt more comfortable than, than when, than, than pre pandemic when I was making like 1250. It's just fucking insane. It is. It really is. I was talking to a coworker about this. It was about that job at the uh, grocery store I was telling you about. And I realized, you know, I really, was I was more comfortable in a lot of ways than I am now. You know, I'm making significantly more now, which is great and helps a lot. But not having a car to worry about, not having food to worry about, it, it really, there's a lot to be said for that. Plus, you know, how much inflation has, uh, I guess, how much inflation has happened since, you know, 2017 or whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty shocking, which is, you know, comes back to this whole thing of like, whatever inflation was recently like eight or nine percent or some crazy amount uh and then to just be told you know that's that's too bad by this company that you know we were told in this same meeting is still profitable and is still meeting sales goals <laughs> and so it's it's just kind of like what gives right like, yeah, well yeah i mean that that's the vast majority right it's it's like you know there's record profits uh, in in many many industries and right, right. I mean, it's it's just they they it's just pure purposeful ignorance, really. That they're just like, I mean, I mean, it's it is it is evil. And eventually, that that's the thing. It's like once it becomes to the point where people feel the violence of it, then I, I mean, it's it's going to get like people are going to wake up to it and realize that something needs to change. And that's kind of like the, that's like the make or break moment. And like, we're slowly edging there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's even, that's, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. You know, people are 
slowly but surely, you know, becoming aware of just how much of, you know, the value that they help create as laborers is just being kind of taken from them, or is there at least that they're not seeing ever. And, you know, with prices going up, and especially with, you know, housing being what it is, I think that's what's driving it. And, and that's really a big part of, you know, why I care so much about housing as an issue. It's it's one of these things that everybody knows is a problem. And, you know, we, we're all aware that it's not working. You know, you, you can just kind of look around. You can see how many people have been forced to live on the streets, just how much probably you yourself are paying in rent, you and all yeah. your friends. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still no real political solution for that at all. There's There's nothing even comparable to, you know, a labor union, for example, right? Which, not to say that labor unions are, you know, doing amazing and, you know, there's not a ton of union uh, participation in this country, but it's it's at least out there. Yeah. But, you know, for, for any kind of, you know, housing stability, there's there's not even that. No, so no, no, you're absolutely kind of, right. That's kind of, you know, what you know, long term, I hope to see is like some kind of, you know, tenant union movement. I know, you know, in Los Angeles, there's a fairly successful tenant union uh, there, but it's just, yeah, something's got to give. And these sort of like patchwork and like, you know, if I just pay my rent on time and, you know, smile at my landlord every so often, (laughs) I'll be fine. It's just not cutting it anymore. No, 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 it's not. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just like something's got to give, and it's like hope it, hope, hope we go the 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 way where people are are taken care of, and not the way where people are fucking tossed off even more carelessly than they are than they already are. Um, and it's and it's like tough now because like we're we're in a space where obviously the Biden administration has like this. I mean, people who are like upper middle class or i mean middle class doesn't even exist anymore but like you know they're just just above that level where they feel like they're safe and and um they you know they 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 see that it's that you know the administration is like making all of these you know promises or or talking about the all, all these nice things and talking about how much they've done and it's like when when does the facade break and everyone can tell that it's a farce um, because obviously, uh, people down here, I mean, we, we have known, obviously we, everyone knows, but, um, but it hasn't, you know, it's, it, it's still tricking some people, I think. Yeah, it absolutely is. And that's, I think, yeah, it's like you said, it's sort of the people who are like on the fringes and, you know, are, are working these really low wage jobs and are just on kind of that, that bottom rung of that socioeconomic ladder. It's it's we all know it because we all live it exactly it's just so easy for people to assume you know that that people's lives are difficult for you know whatever whatever reason they want to imagine that's the case and there's just this total unwillingness to acknowledge that it's a a structural thing that we're all sort of responsible for fixing or even that you know it's it's possible for us to fix yeah yeah i think that's that's really something i ran into with uh you know trying to convince people to to vote for this thing that i was working on was it was just this defeatism almost about like well you know if you do anything to you know bother landlords or you know the the banks or whoever you know it's just going to make everything worse so we should kind of just keep our heads down 
And, and that was kind of the best case scenario response, right? Because those people could be reasoned with. Um, uh-huh. Yep. But there's just this total knee-jerk response to, like, anyone trying to do anything to, you know, raise a standard of living or, you know, protect people from being thrown out of their homes that it's just this like total either unwillingness or inability to see that there is a collective solution but you know it's it needs to be just that it needs to be collective it's not going to come from people you know from elected leaders or it's it's not just going to fall out of the sky yeah yeah no yeah Um, absolutely and and i mean people you know people oh sorry go ahead no no i I apologize. I, I was going to say was was like there's a lot of people that that um have been told their entire lives like being a landlord is kind of like a like a, a like it's a, it's like a decent it's, it's it's a way to to earn a decent living and it's like morally okay. The only way out of the working class, I yeah. think, is what people are sold it as. Yes. it's so unfortunate. It's like the only way you can stop being you know totally exploited is by yourself becoming the exploiter, and it's, yep. it's such a it's such a, a really I don't want to say morally bankrupt. I don't want to moralize it too much, but it, it is a really unfortunate way of of living that people are being sold. It is, but yeah, yeah. Everybody, it's what everyone's told. It's you know, uh, once you start making money, start investing it, and you know what's pretty much been the best investment you can have in over the past fifty years is property. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. I I really hate that because it's like we've got to be able to envision a better future for ourselves you know as as the working class as poor people yeah and, and i mean that taking the place of someone who's been you know the <laughs> who has been kind of the the creator of you know so much of the suffering that that people like us have been mm-hmm. experienced yeah yeah no you're absolutely right and i mean that kind of that 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 belief is how you get fucking tiktoks going viral you know about tipping your landlord and like just insane oh, shit yeah, like yeah. that like <laughs> like that's a response to to kind of organizing and pushing back and it's it's just like it's just such a deranged thing to believe that that you know and i you know part of me even thinks that like most of these people that that say shit like that or post shit like that are are not they can't be genuine a good amount of it has got to be engagement bait you're right yeah but, you know some sliver of that is it probably is uh it probably is genuine yeah it's just oh man that that video just really fucking sent me sent me in a rage um yeah it's, it's one of those things that just like i can't think about it for too long yeah <laughs> no exactly so so cameron i've got a couple i've got a few more questions before we wrap things up i know you uh you got a jet in a minute um First off, you know, I, I know uh, you, you've had a few different uh, experiences where, you, you know, maybe you didn't feel feel like you were working in, in great environments. How do you deal with uh, with with being stuck in a miserable work environment? Yeah, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts or music. Um, I up until actually pretty recently had been able to work with uh, a little Bluetooth headphone, but that went away after a safety audit which you know, i kind of knew that was coming it sucks but it is a production floor there is dangerous equipment so sure. i kind of knew i was doing yeah. that on borrowed time um, yep. at this point i actually i just lug around a bluetooth speaker and listen to it out loud and nice. i'm sure eventually someone will complain but you know i do that um, Fuck em. that keeps me sane too yeah definitely definitely i uh i take a ton of breaks you know I, i'm very uh regimented about making sure i'm taking 
the the 15 minute break that you know i'm guaranteed by law um i i'll usually i'll talk on the phone with you know friends or family on my lunch break which uh that's something i didn't used to do a lot of and that's something i find kind of helps me get through the day is it's nice you know talk to someone you care about who cares about you and you know remind yourself what's actually important yeah it, it certainly isn't your job and no, so that's yeah that's been nice, you're right you're right and that's something i think a lot of people it certainly didn't occur to me for a long time so you know i'd encourage no. folks to give it a try if, if you have the time and you have sort of the space on a break just you know call your parents or something call your partner call your friend you know yeah you know i think that's that's true because like a lot of the times you kind of get you kind of have tunnel i or at least i do at you know working at a job that i hate i, I get tunnel vision and i'm like oh, like everything just feels so fucking hopeless and then on my break i'm like i'm just sitting in my fucking car for half an hour or whatever because like i t you know to drive home it would just be okay that would be my entire break so it's like i'm yeah, just like same. sitting scrolling mindlessly and it's just i i, I think it's good to kind of uh re you know remind yourself that you have connections outside of this this you know yeah hellhole yeah definitely and, and to that end you know i would even recommend if you know you're not the talking on the phone type which i know plenty of people aren't you know no shame uh just try not to scroll don't don't look at twitter don't look at instagram don't I know. look at tiktok yep. you know you've got limited time to be on break so so give yourself that break you know absolutely my therapist told me actually she's like just take those opportunities to slow down yeah um, and it, I found that really helpful. Uh, I brought, I bought like a huge thing of hot chocolate to work and I would just make that on my lunch break and just kind of go walk around nice. outside for, you know, whatever time I had left after eating. That's awesome. Uh, I gotta say that was really nice. So I'd encourage folks to just try something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Little things to make you happy. Nothing, there's really nothing that made me feel worse than just looking at Twitter for my entire break. I know. And, and I mean, that eats up the entire, like, you know, when you're scrolling on Twitter, time goes by so fast. Like you're kind of stuck in that. You're stuck in the algorithm. You know, you're trapped, and then you're like, "Fuck, my break's over already." And then you, because you, and you're just like seeing one million bat, like like tweets about about like everything that's wrong with the world, and you're like, "Fuck." Exactly. It's fuck. like you know, you're already having your time taken from you by your boss. So, yeah. Know. You know why give more to Elon Musk? Yeah. <laughs> Think about it like that. Exactly. You're absolutely right. Um. So for, for people like us or people that, that are stuck in, in these jobs, um, do you think escape is possible? And do you feel like you escaped? I think it is possible, right? I will say as uh, taxing and as tiring as all of my sort of political engagement has been over the last few years, it really is... Uh, a tangible escape from, you know, the drudgery of waking up, going to work, getting home, going to sleep and, you know, repeat until you die. Yeah. Um, I would not say I have escaped it. I would, I think that's a lifelong project is like finding those ways to reclaim your time and sort of assert your identity mm -hmm. on your terms and not on the terms of your job. Um, but you probably won't be surprised to hear me say this, you know, all of this stuff is possible, but it's really only through collective action. So yeah, whether that is in a labor or a housing or uh, any like any kind of advocacy context is like, that's really what I think, uh, where I think people can escape to because, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend like I have any kind of 
idea of where things are going to go in the next 5, 10, 20 years. But what I can say is it'll feel better if in the meantime you're sort of building that community, making those friendships, and working towards a goal. Um, Hell yeah. And th that's easier said than done, of course. All of this stuff takes a lot of time and energy. But I think a lot of people at the end of the day will say it's worth it. I, I know I would. Absolutely. No, I think I, I, I do think that is the way forward for for us in this position. And um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's just something we have to we have to do no matter if we feel like it's going to uh, work or fail, because, I mean, we don't really have any other choice. Um, yeah. And so, you're very rarely going to be left off worse than where you started. Yeah, exa you know? exactly. You're, 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 you're going to make meaningful connections. Yeah. In the meantime. Yeah. So and I mean, that's, that's all you're left with. Yeah. That's, that's a great outcome. People, especially in, in, you know, under late stage capitalism where everybody is isolated and divided, um, we forget that connections in community is a form of capital. You know, it, that, that's like that that is way, way more valuable than than, you know, money in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, that's kind of the that's the foundation of humanity. Right. It really is. And, you know, a way that helped me. Uh, sort of conceive of this of you know building community making those connections uh, as a, a sort of political act is you know like you said these things are capital you know so there's a reason we call it social capital there is power in that and we can't really let all of that stuff be mediated through you know social media or the ways that people who want to take our money and power want us to. Yeah. And so even if it's, you know, a little out of your comfort zone, I think, I think it's something you, that we all sort of owe ourselves and each other is to really try to reclaim that social space. Cause that's, that is really is where, you know, these mass politics happen. And, you know, I have to assume most of the people listening to the show believe you know, in in some sort of leftist politics or political project, and and it really is that outside of work, basic social interaction that is really what sustains long term political projects. Well said, my friend. I I agree totally. Um, last but not least, uh, what would your life look like if you did not need to work and all your needs were met? Yeah. That's a great question. And, you know, I, I listened to a couple episodes, so I knew you were you were going to ask. So I did have to f spend some time thinking about <laughs> nice. this. Uh, I didn't want to be caught flat footed. And I've been <laughs> I really have been thinking about what would I like to do? What is it that I like to do in my free time? And there's there's, of course, my hobbies and stuff. Like I said, uh, there's music. You know, I I've got some pets and you know, I like taking care of them, spending time with them. Um I really think I would just be putting a lot of myself into, you know, improving my living situation, you know, whether that's decorating, cleaning, just maintaining the house and, you know, making sure the people around me are taken care of, too, is, you know, whatever energy I can put into that is, I think, you know, I'm putting so much of my energy into work is that, you know, making sure people are like fed and, you know, they're they're good, just to put it bluntly, right? Yeah. Whatever that looks like is just... However, I can help people around me is I think I really think that's where my energy would be going if, you know, so much of it wasn't already going to work. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I think that's uh, that's true uh, for a lot of people. And, and uh, yeah, I, th I think we need to get to a place where where we can use our energy for for better things. Um, 
and to kind of grow grow those communities and those relationships um yeah Cameron, Absolutely. thank you so much for taking the time out to to chat with me. This was fucking awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug or uh, shout out before we wrap things up? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, I want to say thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Um, I really only have one plug. That's uh, if people are interested in sort of housing and the politics and the finances behind that, I run a newsletter with my partner. Nice. It's called Housing Authority. So you can find that oh, yeah. on Substack, just substack.com slash housing authority. Awesome. Uh, you can subscribe to that for free. Uh, we have not been posting lately just because we were sort of so uh, wrapped up in that uh, ballot measure. But we should be posting weekly uh, pretty much starting this week. Once Very again. cool. So hey, I will. Give that a read. We- yeah. Yeah, we try to keep it accessible. It's it's not super wonky cuz a lot of that stuff is so hard to understand. We try to, you know, use our experience in the area in that realm to sort of make it more understandable for a general audience and and we try to keep it grounded in, you know, the realities of normal people's lives. Yeah, and, that's you know, that's great cuz that that's a huge obstacle to um, you know, starting something or getting involved yourself is, you know, just not quite understanding it or just not knowing the process. So I think that's that's awesome. We will we'll put that in the show notes for you. So, so definitely subscribe to that Substack. Yeah, um, give it a read. Check yeah. it out. Hell yeah. Well, Cameron, thanks again. And uh, let's let's chat sometime soon, okay? Yeah, thanks for having me, Connor. Awesome. Yeah, have a great night. Thanks. You too. All right. And there you have it. Thanks again to Cameron for the time to chat. Uh, if you are interested in his Substack, please check it out. That's uh, housingauthority.substack.com. I will be linking it in the show notes, so give it a click. Subscribe. Um, I know I am. If you are a fellow job jumper and you want to be on the show or you want to just tell me your story, uh, please shoot me an email at jobjumperspod at gmail.com. If email is not your jam, I understand. We also are on Twitter and Instagram at jobjumperspod, so you can feel free to slide into my DMs. Um, But even if you don't, Give us a follow, because uh, you know we're 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 amassing a job jumper army, and um, you know we want you, like Uncle Sam. We want you. Uh, <clears throat> also, if you have the time, please give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, along with a with a very very nice review. Um, please please don't be mean, because at this point in my life, I'm gonna cry if you are mean to me. Um, so I would appreciate you being nice and, and really complimenting me um, and my skills as a, as a podcast host. Even if you're lying. I don't care if you're lying. Just be nice. All right. That's about it for me. Until next time, guys and gals and non-binary pals, keep jumping. <laughs>